All right, I think it's on now. All right. Well, you guys are good. So one thing that I did I did forget to mention that's in your bulletin is uh, this coming Wednesday is uh, we're going to have uh, Pastor Jim is asking if you have questions that have been on your heart that you haven't uh, gotten answers to. We have some, uh, you can write them on a piece of paper and toss them into the agape boxes. There's two here or one in the foyer or give them to Gayla or myself or Royce or one of the other uh, folks. And then we can just put it on uh, hi, uh, Gayla's desk and we'll get on to Pastor Jim. So Wednesday night is uh, question and answer night uh, with Pastor Jim. Yesterday we had, uh, it's, we recorded it and it was going out live streaming. So if you missed the evangelistic type training, it's only about an hour. And it, it was very, very informative. It breaks down a lot of walls. And just how, look back and think of how you came to Christ. Somebody gave you the gospel. Somebody planted a seed in you. In my life, it was an eight-year drawing from my college days. And, and I heard the first time in my life of being born again. And that stuck with me for eight years until I accepted the Lord. Um, and it was, it was an amazing. So we had this living water just in John chapter 4. The Jesus was talking to the lady that was at the well. And Jesus said, I, ha I am the living water. And she went and told the whole village. The whole village came and got saved. We went out. Um, we walked the streets. And what we did is that some people went into the shops and everything else. And it was, it was amazing what type of occultic, demonic things that are in the city of Roswell in the shops uh, downtown. So the thing is, we need to continually pray for the city of Roswell. Uh, Pastor Dave, we've been trying to, we've been trying, but it wasn't God's timing. So for over a year now, and this is a, a excellent uh, program down in Las Cruces. It's it's an amazing thing. Pastor Dave is uh, a pastor up in uh, Southeast uh, Oregon. So let's uh, any further ado, I'll give it over to Pastor Dave, and he can uh, share what he wants. Praise the Lord. Thank you, bro. Amen. <laughs> I'm sorry. Good morning, church. Can you guys hear me okay? Yeah? How you doing? Wasn't that a sweet time of worship? Praise God. Glad to be here with you guys. It was an amazing time, as uh, Pastor Kevin was saying. Just went out in the streets and shared the good news. Amen? If you've been changed by the good news, you will want to share that good news. If, if you've been born again by the Spirit of the living God, you have to tell somebody, right? It just comes out. And we had a sweet time yesterday going out in the streets after we did the training. It's actually student-led training, so some of our students taught the class. And then we just went out in faith, right? And we saw God. Someone got saved yesterday. Amen. Let's give it up. Someone gave their heart to Jesus on the streets of Roswell. And it just takes, okay, you know what? I'm going to go downtown and see what happens. And all of heaven rejoices over one sinner coming to repentance. Amen. The, all of heaven erupts in praise and, and just thanks God because they know what Jesus did, right? They know the price that Jesus paid for every soul. And we think about worship, right? We think about worshiping God, and we think about lift, lifting our hands and playing music. The ultimate way you can worship Jesus is to give him what he desires, which is souls. That's what he came to save, right? Every time you bring someone to Christ, you're putting another gem in King Jesus' crown, amen? 
And so it was a beautiful thing. We had a blast uh, yesterday. Got to talk to some guys. I come out of addiction. Um, I was 19 years old when I got saved. My family had nothing to do with God, so both my parents were alcoholics. Very destructive and just um, a home filled with lots of chaos. And someone was bold enough to me to come to me with the gospel. Um, a friend of mine got saved, and I remember just having he, him having a stupid smile on his face. You know, I was like, what's wrong with this guy? He had joy. You know, he was saved by grace. I mean, he's not even stoned anymore. He's not drinking. What's wrong with this dude? You know, and he was like, Jesus changed my life. I'm like, oh, bro, you drank the Kool-Aid, man. And he's like, well, you need to read the Bible. The Bible will change your life. And so he gave me the Gospel of John. I said, I'll read it just to show you how stupid you actually are, right? And the, you know this story, right? C.S. Lewis and all the, some of the greatest atheists uh, began to read the Word of God. And what happens? It just tra- transformed my life. I began to read the words of Jesus Christ. And he transformed my life. It wasn't church. It wasn't, you know, um, uh, being a, a, attending a, a church or anything like that. It was Jesus Christ through his word, right? This is a love letter that he wrote to us, right? And you open this word of God and it will change your life. And ever since then, I've been following him by his grace, by his power, right? And so it's a joy to be with you guys this morning uh, to dig into his word. I am a pastor from Calvary Chapel, Southeast Portland, Oregon. Um, I was on staff there for eight years, and I'm currently with Agents for Christ Ministries, and I was actually one of the co-founders of that ministry um, 15 years ago. Uh, my brother-in-law and I, we felt the call of the Lord to be evangelists and to be missionaries to the United States, actually. And people thought we were crazy, and, um, and he was actually the one with the vision. He shared it with me, and he said, Bill, or he said Dave, I think um, God has a plan for us. I'm like, okay, and what is it? He's like, I think we should sell everything we own, quit our jobs, sell our houses, and just get in RVs and go share the gospel. And I said, I think God's talking to you, not me. <laughs> that sounds like a good plan for you, bro. But as we were praying and doing evangelism at our church, and you know, we were doing all these things, the Lord was stirring our hearts to go. So we did. We sold everything at, in 2008. We bought a couple RVs. Our kids were little back then. And we believed that the Lord was going to use us to share the gospel in the streets and then teach other people to do the same. And we've seen God move over, those, over these years. Um, we started with just doing evangelism training at churches. And then God opened a door to start radio ministry. So we have a ministry called Evangelism Minute. And it's just a one-minute encouragement to share your faith, right? Just to get out of your comfort zone and share your faith. And actually, I've heard from different people um, around the world emailing me. And one guy emailed me and said, I'm, I'm kind of offended at one of your minutes. You you, you it sounded like you were saying that every Christian should share their faith, and I'm an introvert, and I don't think I need to share my faith. <laughs> and I said, well, guess again. <laughs> I mailed him back. You know, all of us are called to share the gospel, right? The Great Commission is not the great suggestion. It is the commission for every believer. Whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, God wants to use your life, and you have something to share. And I always talk about this every time we do an evangelism training. If you're an introvert, you're just going to think a little bit longer about what you're going to say. And it's going to come out way better than what I'll say because I just flap my lips all the time. And I might say something stupid, you know. But for, for someone that's a little bit more reserved, God's going to use you. Just, just, just got to get it out, right? Take that step. Pass out a track first, right? We made some gospel tracks. I think I have one in my pocket. We made some of these. Uh, this is not our home, you know, the whole alien thing around here. Actually, one of our students made these, and so we brought some of these with us. But that's the first step. Did you get one of these, right? That's all you have to say. Hey, did you get one of these? Oh, what is it? It's good news. And they take it, and it could change their life. 
You know, Pastor Kevin was talking about that eight years that the Lord was stirring him. I met a guy when I was out sharing the gospel. He, went, he was actually at a church, and we went out to share the gospel together. And I said, how did you get saved? He said, well, I had been, some people had been sharing the gospel with me for years. I'm like, really? Because I've never been, I mean, maybe once or twice approached with the gospel, which is sad, actually. You think about Jehovah's Witnesses are always sharing, right? Mormons, always sharing. But have you ever been a, approached by a born-again believer? Not ra- I mean, rarely. May God change our hearts, right? We do it out of love. They do it out of burden. They have to do it in order to try to get some favor with God, which we know you can't earn. But we do it out of love, out of responding to God's grace in our lives. And so he said, I've been given tracts for years, right? And I had a drawer, and I just threw them in there, never read them. He said, one day I was just depressed, suicidal, just hate my life. And I, he thought, maybe I should read those. And he said, I just dumped them out on the floor, began reading them. And one by one, just God was piercing my heart, and I just, in tears, just surrendered my life to Jesus. And I thought, you know, that's pretty powerful that he held on to those tracks because the track, it'll just wait, right? Whenever you're ready, you can read it. And there's been many people saved by gospel tracks. And so we started that, tra- that ministry as well. And um, after about three years on the road of traveling full-time, my brother-in-law uh, felt the call to Uganda. And by God's grace, he went over there. Um, another radical move. I know God just doesn't like us comfortable, you know? <laughs> he doesn't want us comfortable. I hope you know that, church. He wants to comfort you as you get radical, right? He wants to comfort you as you step out. And so these people had some land in Uganda, and they said, hey, we want you to start a mission here, this this tribe over there. And Bill um, took his family, had a couple tents, literally, a couple Walmart tents, went out on this land and said, God's going to build a mission here, right? And by God's grace, over the last 10 years, we've seen God do amazing things over there. I mean, literally, starting with two tents, the African people think, these people are, who are these white people in tents? They're nuts, you know, laughing at us. Uh, but God had a plan, right? And he, over the last 10 years, we've built a, a mission center there. He's built it. Um, we have a school now from kindergarten all the way through high school. We have over 500 children in that school who are being fed every day, who are being clothed, who get medical. We have a medical clinic there now, so they get medical attention. And they're being discipled in the word of God, amen? And we're seeing God use it in a powerful way, God raising up disciples who will go across Africa and the world um, to bring people to, the, to, the, to his power, amen, to salvation. And that's been amazing just to see what God's doing over there. And, and then now 10th Hour Project, it's, um, we've added this, this to the, under the umbrella of Agents for Christ, if you will, all of these ministries. And the 10th Hour Project was started five years ago. Uh, by my wife and I, and uh, some, some other people that came to help us from Portland. We moved down to Las Cruces. The Lord gave us a, a, a campus there, a beautiful campus right at the base of the Oregon Mountains, and we're seeing God do many amazing things in the lives of young people, changing them um, just to know Him and to make Him known. Amen? If you know Him, you will make Him known. And he will just, I think it's Jeremiah said, I can't hold it, right? My bones are crying out, I have to say it. I have to talk to you about this God that I know. And so we've been, over the, we've been there five years. We have our, our biggest uh, term yet. We've had nine terms. This is term nine that we're on, 14 students um, and seven interns um, who are serving full-time with us, and we're watching God do amazing things by his power, not our own. Amen? And so 10th hour, what is 10th hour? Why, you know, why did we name it 10th hour? Um, I want to share from John chapter 1, if you want to turn in your Bibles there. That will be our text this morning. 
And we'll be starting in verse 35 of chapter 1. If you get there, it's toward the back of your Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and the New Testament. If you don't know where to find it, let your neighbor help you find where it is, right? We all start off somewhere. Some people don't know where that is, and that's okay. Get to know your Bible. Don't be embarrassed, right? We want to find it. We want to learn it. We want to study it. We want to live and breathe it. Amen? Amen? Okay, when I say amen, I, hope I, I just need to know you're tracking with me, okay? Well, let's get in uh, verse 35. We're going to start. It says, again, the next day, John stood with two of his disciples. And looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned and seeing them following, said to them, what do you seek? They said to him, Rabbi, which is to say when translated teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, come and see. They came and saw where he was staying, and they remained with him that day. Now it was about the 10th hour. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word, Lord. Your word is truth. And in a world that doesn't understand objective truth, people are claiming this is true, that is true, whatever is true for you might not be true for me. And that's just not how truth works. Now, we see truth in the universe. We see truth in the laws of logic, in the laws of reason. We see truth all around us in the universe. And so we know that you are the way, the truth, and the life. And so, Father, we pray for those that know you today, God, that they would be strengthened, that they would be encouraged, Lord, that they would begin to take risks for your name. Because as we sang earlier, we know who sealed us. We know what the promise is. We know where we're going. In 1 John, it says that I write these things that you may know that you have eternal life. And so we know, God, where we're going. We fight from victory. And so let us take risks for your kingdom, God. Move your church in these last days into action. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So this is uh, the beginning of Jesus' public ministry here. But we need to give a little context to where we're at. In the text, so John actually begins his gospel with the deity of Christ, and that is his focus throughout the text, that Jesus is God. It's distinct from the other three gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are referred to as synoptic gospels uh, because of their similar styles, because of their content, and because they give a, a synopsis, if you will, of the life of Christ, right? And the oldest, actually, the oldest manuscript we have in the New Testament is from the gospel of John. Um, John, uh, it contains John 18, 31 through 34 on the front, and then John 18, 37 and 38 on the back, and it has been variously dated from 80, 110 to 140. However, it could have been written as early as AD 100 or even shorter, even shortly before that, maybe even 50 years after the death and resurrection of Christ. Think about that, that we, the text that we have is the, the truest, the most evident text in the world. And people will argue with you that the Bible's been changed, uh, you know, throughout the centuries. I mean, mean, who's heard this, right? Uh, The Bible's not true, and it's men's words. Listen, 66 books that are all cohesive, that all tell the same story, written over thousands of years. You you couldn't do that if you tried. (laughs) It's a miraculous book, right? It's filled with miracles, and it's God's love letter to us. But the Gospel of John, we have I mean, the oldest manuscripts we have are right after Jesus rose from the dead. And so John actually is the book that someone gave me. I was telling you earlier that 
someone gave me the Gospel of John, I began to read it, and it began to transform my life. Um, at this point in my life, I was a drug addict. I was suicidal. I hated life. And it's like the more drugs you do, the worse you feel. You know, the more alcohol you drink, the worse you feel, or whatever it is, and you think you're going to find, find something. You know, everybody has something. They worship something, right? Some people, it's work. I'm a workaholic. One day, I'm just going to be fulfilled by my work, and it doesn't satisfy, you know? Some people, it's, I want to be an influencer, right? They're on Instagram all day long, and they want to, maybe I'm going to be some, someone great on Instagram someday. Listen, it will not satisfy you. The things that we are trying to hope for and trying to do are only found in Jesus Christ, amen? They're only found. And I began to read the Word of God, and it transformed my life. You know, I had all these preconceived ideas of who Jesus is. I thought that if I walked into a church, I would literally light on fire. <laughs> it's like, I'm so evil, I can't go in there, you know? Because that's just a misconception the devil gives you, that God is out to get you. Yeah, he is. He's out to save you, redeem you, love you, bless you, heal you, transform you, and take you to heaven. <laughs> and I had no clue about this. And what I loved about Jesus as I read was like, okay, he hates religious people, but he loves sinners. I'm like, okay, I'm in. You know, I hate religious people too. <laughs> but God began to change my heart and change my mind to see this Jesus as the living God. And so John starts his gospel by bearing witness to the fact that Jesus is not only Savior, but that he is God in the flesh, right? John 1, 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So John sets the stage that Jesus is the living Word, right? He is the Logos. He is the living Word. He is the beginning and the end. Now, when it says beginning, it actually means the origin or the active cause, right? Think about that, that Jesus is the uncaused cause, right? He had no beginning. He's always existed. I don't understand that, Dave. Either do I. <laughs> it's too high, right? David in the psalm says, Lord, you're too high. It's too high. I, I cannot comprehend it. It is too high for me. That's okay. I think if you have this book totally figured out, I'm afraid of you, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, if you have your theology just completely figured out, uh, there's no wonder, there's no awe, right? God is too high. And so he's given us what we need to understand him, amen? But Jesus literally made everything. In John 1.10, it says, He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. They missed it, right? The Jews missed it. It's like they've been writing about him for centuries, thousands of years, and here he comes, and they don't even get it, right? And he, they were temporarily blinded. We know that one day God will open the eyes of the Jew, amen? They're all being called back to Israel. We know that it's a trembling cup, Jerusalem, and we see it today. Turn on the news. Why is everybody after this little piece of dirt? Well, probably because it's God's land, right? And God will not forsake his people. Zechariah says that they will look upon whom they pierced and they will mourn. They will turn, they will repent, and they will come to Christ. Amen. The Jews will come. We need to pray for, our, pray for the people in, in Jerusalem today that they would turn to the Savior. And so the God who made everything that is material and immaterial, right, came into his creation. He condescended to know you. He came to earth to know you. John 1.14, And the word became flesh, and dwelled among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. I love that. Church, can we be full of grace and truth? We need to be. I always tell people in evangelism, if you're too full of truth, you're just going to beat people over the head with the truth. 
right? You're just going to keep thumping them, Bible thumpers, right? But if you're full, too full of grace and no truth, then you're just a really nice person. And you never tell people they need to repent and come to Christ and believe in Christ and that he's the only way, right? Some people think that just their lifestyle is going to be a witness, and it is. We should feed people. We should love people. We should bless people, right? We should live a life that Christ did, feeding the poor, visiting people in prison. But if you don't give them the gospel, what have you done? You've fed them and sent them to hell. You've clothed them and while they're headed to hell. But if I give you the gospel, I've fed you forever, right? I've clothed you forever in the, in the, in the grace and the mercy of God. So we have to be filled with both grace and with truth. And so John gives us a theology lesson that Jesus is actually God in the flesh. Listen, every other cult will deny Jesus' deity. You think about cults. You think about Mormons. You think about Jehovah's Witnesses. You think about there's the Worldwide Church of God. I mean, there's many cults, right? And what is the point, the focal point of their ministries usually? If you want to call it ministry. Lies. Um, is that Jesus isn't God. Is that he's not God. But yet, throughout the scriptures, Jesus claimed to be God. And why did they want to kill him and put him on a cross? Because he claimed to be God, right? Blasphemy. But yet, he knew it all along. He, he was in total control. But he is God in the flesh. And later we see that John the Baptist is clearing away a path for Jesus. He's making straight the way for the Lord because he's coming, right? In, John, in verse 23 it says, And he said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. So John, he's a forerunner for Jesus. And he's also Jesus' cousin, which is interesting. Uh, before they were born, John literally leapt in the womb of his mother when Mary was pregnant with Jesus and visited his mom, Elizabeth. It says that John, the Holy Spirit came upon him and he jumped in the womb. Now, if that's not a pro-life argument, I don't know what, that God actually has a purpose for you before you're even born? Yes. Right? Can you worship God in the womb? Yes. And you can be filled with joy in the womb. Amen? And John had his calling in the womb. And so here we see that John is telling the people to get, get your heart ready. Get your heart right before God that you will recognize Jesus when you see him because he's coming. He's clearing a path for him. So John tells the people, get your heart right before God and you will recognize Jesus when you see him. And then Jesus comes to John and he's baptized. The Holy Spirit comes down upon Jesus. John proclaims Jesus to be the Lamb of God. Now, why? Why a lamb? You think about it, that's weird. A lamb? Why a lamb of God? Well, if you've read the Old Testament, you've studied the Old Testament, it says that without the shedding of blood, what? There is no remission for sin, you know? Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission for sin. Something has to die. Someone has to pay the price, right? Someone has to pay the price for sin. And so Jesus came to pay that price. You know, some people think, oh, Jesus is just going to be, you know, when I get there, he'll, he understands, you know what I mean? He understands. He, he knows that I, I messed up, but, man, he'll, you know, he'll be all right with me coming in. I'll just say I'm sorry. Listen, is that the gospel? No. And I always give, I give a scenario often. I'll say, okay, imagine you're standing before a judge and you murdered somebody. And, or maybe you stole a million dollars, right? And, and the penalty is death. And you tell that judge, hey, judge, I did it. I confess. But, you know, I am so sorry. I will never do that again, I promise. So can I just go? Because I got to go back to work and I got things to do. And, you know, I, I, I promise I'll never do it again. Do you think if he's a good judge, would he let you go? He can't, right? He can't. If he's a good judge, there must be a punishment. 
And so I say, remember, imagine that same scenario, and you're standing there, and someone comes in front of you and says, whatever they did, I'm going to pay the price. Even if it's death, I'll pay the price. That's what Jesus did, right? He stood in front of you, and he took every sin that you ever committed, and he put it on himself, and he went to that cross. Amen? Jesus paid that price, that Jesus would one day lay down his life. He is the lamb, the last sacrifice. I love what John Corson notes here. He says, The message of the Lamb of God grows wider and becomes more encompassing as you travel through Scripture. In Genesis, as Abel brought a lamb for sacrifice, we see a lamb offered for an individual. In Exodus, as each household sacrificed a lamb during Passover, we see a lamb offered for a family. In Leviticus, when the people of Israel were instructed to sacrifice a lamb, we see a lamb offered for a nation. In John, as the Baptist identifies Jesus as the lamb who takes away the sin of the world, we see a lamb who would be offered for the entire world. I love that. Isn't that amazing? No more sacrifices, guys. No more. I mean, I can't imagine the sacrificial system. You go and you get a, you know, you're like, oh, I lied again. I'm going to go give, give a dove, have the dove kill you, leave, and then you get angry. You know, <laughs> it's like, oh, I got to go back. You're probably at the temple every other minute. <laughs> but Jesus paid it all. He paid for that. And so the, where is the lamb was the cry of the Old Testament. Where's the lamb? Behold the lamb, the cry of the New Testament. And then worthy is the lamb is the summation of all eternity that we'll be singing to Jesus for the rest of all eternity, just worshiping him. You know, I talk to people all the time about heaven on the streets, and I say, you know what? People are hoping to get there, but why do they want to go? Uh, they just want to escape hell. But really... Why, if Jesus isn't there, it's not heaven, right? If you're not there to behold Jesus as your Savior, right, as your King, is it really heaven? Not without Him. And so that brings us to our text here. This is after um, John had baptized uh, Jesus and after Jesus has returned from the temptation in the desert. It says in verse 35, it says, Again the next day, John stood with two of his disciples and looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. Now, I love how it says behold here. You think about that word behold. It's to perceive through sight or apprehension, to gaze upon, right? To look at. It's like, really examine this, guys, right? See this clearly, who this is. This is King Jesus coming to save your life, amen? You know, we were on, we were on Sunset Beach in Florida, um, just hanging out, enjoying, enjoying the beach. And it's called Sunset Beach for a reason. It's beautiful, right? And everybody, they're playing football. They're playing Frisbee. Everybody's just having a good time at the beach. And suddenly, as the sun starts to go down, man, it's just, it's just gold everywhere, right? And everybody just literally just stopped what they were doing and just watching the sunset. I mean, it was just like silent, you know? Footballs, Frisbees, everybody's just like, wow, you know? Just, just like that is incredible, and that's the sense that I get from John when he's saying, behold the lamb, look at this. This is God in the flesh coming to save us, right? So Jesus, he sees Jesus again and he proclaims him to be the sacrifice of God for all humanity. And I can only imagine what John was thinking as his eyes were open to the truth of who Jesus was. Now, he was his cousin, as we said, but this is, this is the revelation that, okay, this is the Messiah. I mean, can you imagine just the look on his face as he saw Jesus for who he truly is. And it must have blew John's disciples away because John had disciples with him. And back in this day, you know, you had the rabbi had 
disciples that they lived with him, basically. They went everywhere he went. He was constantly teaching them, right? They ate meals together. I mean, their lives were spent together, student and teacher. And look at verse 37. It says, the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. I mean, that's a loaded, there's so much there, right? But they just left. It's like, huh? So the two were Andrew and more than likely um, the apostle John. But look at this immediate response. This is the common response when God reveals Jesus to somebody. If you have truly seen Jesus, you will give up everything and follow him. And it won't even matter where you're going. Just as long as you're following the king, right? As long as you're walking in the dust of the rabbi, right? Being with Jesus. And that's what they saw. And you know, I'm sure he had been telling them, look, there's one coming, right? I can't even unloose his, his sandals. He's so holy. And when he comes, I must decrease, right? And he must increase. And so they knew. But it must have been difficult. They had to count the cost. But they, when they see Jesus, they just go. And I love what A.W. Tozer says about this. He says, believing then is directing the heart's attention to Jesus. It is lifting the mind to behold the Lamb of God and never ceasing that beholding for the rest of our lives. I love that. Have you seen Jesus? Have you truly seen him? Because you won't ever want to look away. And when you do, you realize, man, this sucks. I really want to get back to Jesus. (laughs) I mean, I've stumbled my life. There's been times when I walked away from Jesus and, man, what a miserable thing. I remember after I got saved, I actually, I thought, okay, maybe I was just hallucinating that day. You know, that was just a bad day. I need to go back to my old life. And I went to this party, and everybody's drinking and carousing. And, and I'm sitting there, and I'm, I'm, I get a beer or whatever. And I'm looking around in the room, and the, the Holy Spirit speaks to me. You don't belong here anymore. You don't belong here anymore. And all of these people that are laughing and carrying on, they're miserable. And you know this, Dave. And that was it. It was like... I'm done with this life. And I walked out, and my friends were like, oh, you're, oh, you, Jesus. You know, they, were, they knew I had been going to church. And so they're, oh, holy roller. And I get, amen, brother. <laughs> I'm done. I don't need this anymore. I was free. And that was a glorious day to realize, like, I don't need that. I don't need the world anymore, man. I have Jesus Christ. But what about you? Have you seen Jesus with your heart? You know, that 18 inches from your head to your heart, that's an eternal distance, right? Because many people know about Jesus, but Jesus wants to know you personally and intimately verse 38 says then jesus turned and seeing them following said to them what do you seek and they said to him rabbi which is to say teacher where are you staying so i love this scene here jesus basically asking what do you want (laughs) you know and i don't know how long they followed him um you know maybe they're probably getting trying to get each other you you ask him you talk to him no you talk to him and he knew exactly what they wanted right he knows their hearts He knows our hearts, right? But he's wanting to know what they want, what they're truly after. You notice through the Gospels, Jesus often says, for him who has ears to hear, let him hear. It's because some people just wanted a sandwich, right? They knew that Jesus does magic tricks or something, and so they're just coming to get something to eat. But that's why he would say that, because he wanted their hearts, right? Jesus wants to know you. And so he's asking, what do you want? One commentator says this about it. He says, It wasn't an accident that the first words which the master spoke in his messianic office were this profoundly significant question. What do you seek? He asks it of us all. He asks it of us today. Right? Jesus wants to know what you're looking for. You know, a lot of people seek Jesus for a lot of reasons, right? Some people want a Mercedes Benz, and they think Jesus is like a slot machine. 
give me the bins, Lord, you know? Or they think that Jesus just wants to get them through maybe, please help me get through this last class, Lord, or I just want to be healed of a sickness. And don't get me wrong, those things Jesus wants to do in your life. He wants to heal you. He wants to get you through life. But he wants you to want him. He wants you to want him. He desires to have that intimate walk with you. And so Jesus is asking this question, what do you want? See, Jesus, he isn't interested in people that just want miracles. He wants everything we are. He wants your surrender. You know, a lot of people love to call Jesus Savior, but Lord is something else, right? But he's both. You know, he wants to save you, yes, but do you want to make him Lord of your life, right? To where you're obeying him no matter what he says. The only way you obey him and truly obey him is out of joy, out of love, right? The Christian life is a response to what we already have. You know, many people are trying to earn things with God, and you could never earn God's favor. He already paid for it in his blood. But he wants you to follow him with your whole heart. And listen, it won't be easy to follow him. When we share the gospel with people, I try to make, make sure they know, listen, this is going to be difficult. And how many of you, when you got saved, everything went wrong? I don't know about you, but my life crumbled, man. It was like, what is happening? I thought Jesus was going to make everything smooth and rosy. No, my life got difficult. But you know there's enough difficulty in life without Jesus, right? I, can't, I don't see how pe- anybody gets through life without Jesus. I mean, he's the one we run to. He's our shelter. He's our hope, right? But he, sa- he warns that it won't be easy. He says in verse 24, Matthew 16, 24, he says, When Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him, one, deny himself, two, take up his cross, and three, follow me, right? Take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. See, this is the upside-down kingdom of God. It doesn't make sense to the natural mind. If you want to be first, you've got to be last, right? If you want to go to heaven, you've got to give your life away. Give your life to Christ. It's in surrender that we actually find joy, not in pleasure, not in self-seeking, not in self-serving, but in Jesus, J-O-Y, right, joy. Jesus first, others, and then yourself. If you live in that order, the Lord will give you peace. You think about all the anxiety in this world, in a, in a connected world that we're living, social media and all that. More People are more depressed, more anxious than ever before. Why? Because we're focused on ourselves. And we're worried about what other people have, right? Oh, they got this and they got that. I don't got that. <laughs> right? It sends you down into a, a vortex of doom. But when you focus on, Lord, how can I bless people? How can I love people? Give me your love so that I can give it to someone. Then you'll have joy. There's no greater joy, right, than serving the king and watching people smile for the first time in their life, you know? Give them the hope. Who's invited to follow Jesus? Well, Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. Come to me, all of you who, are lab- who labor, right? You're just working hard, burdened, are heavy laden, stressed out, anxious, fearful, doubtful, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I love that. Man, don't you love that, church? That you can come to Jesus with all your junk. And he says, come to me, because I'm gentle and I'm lowly, right? He's humble, and he just wants to help you. That's all Jesus wants, desires. He wants to save you and help you and love you. You know, before I was saved, I thought God was just waiting with a hammer, just one more thing, Dave, boom! (laughs) 
No, he, he was waiting with open arms, saying, I love you. Come, come to me. And I love that, that picture of that yoke. It's like uh, two ox that are tied together, and when they walk, the older ox would help the younger walk, right? And so the older one's taking all that weight. And that's what Jesus is saying. Tie yourself to me, and I'm going to carry you through this life. And oh, am I glad. If you put your hope in Christ. Listen, although the road won't be easy, it will be filled with his peace. Amen? And so we see in the text that Jesus actually wants to know their motivation. He wants to know what they're coming for, why they're coming. And what's their response? The rest of verse 38 says, Rabbi, which to say when translated as teacher, where are you staying? So immediately they want to be where Jesus is. They want to go where Jesus is going, right? They're leaving John the Baptist. They're leaving their whole life behind. Whatever they were doing, they're not doing it anymore. (laughs) You know, we don't add Jesus to our lives. I think sometimes we just want Jesus in our back pocket or, you know, it's Sunday and Wednesday. You know what I mean? It's like, don't get too crazy. (laughs) But Jesus wants your whole life. You know, have you ever seen those stickers, God is my co-pilot? Or, yeah, it's actually God is the pilot. You get in the trunk (laughs) and you let God drive. And you go where he says and do what he tells you. Amen? I mean, that's, I'm so glad that Jesus leads my life. Trust me, I will wreck it. <laughs> but if I put it in his hands, it will go well. And so here they are. They're, they're surrendering all to Jesus immediately. Oswald Chambers says this, In our abandonment, we give ourselves over to God just as God gave himself for us. Without any calculations, the consequences of abandonment never into Enter, uh, enter into our outlook because our life is taken up in him. You're just so consumed. I mean, I think you really have to know how deep of a sinner you are, that you're an, actually a monster. You know, people go, man, Hitler was really bad. Listen, we all have the potential because we are born, the DNA, our DNA is tainted with sin. So we are sin before we come to Christ. And when he comes into your life, it's all washed away. Amen? He has... And once he's forgiven you, man, it's like, Lord, wherever you want to send me, whatever you want to do with my life, you can have it. I'll give it to you. And they desire to know him, not just know about him. They wanted to know him. They wanted to be with him. Look at verse 39. It says, he said to them, come and see. And they came and saw where he was staying, and they remained with him that day. Now it was about the 10th hour. Now I love this because Jesus invites them to know him. He's saying, come come hang out with me. Come have a meal with me. Come just be with me. And I, I love that about Jesus. You know, I, some of my favorite times are getting up in the morning. No one else is up. I get my coffee. I go sit down on the porch. The sun's coming up, and Jesus wants to hang out with me. Wow. What? The creator of the universe wants to hang out with me? Dude, <laughs> that should blow your mind. That should bring you to tears every morning. Thank you, Lord. You want to be with me. And that's all Jesus was inviting them into a relationship. Listen, if your understanding of the gospel is not personal, then you do not understand the gospel. If your understanding of the gospel is not personal, then you don't understand the gospel because it is personal. It's a love letter to you. Jesus is saying, come, to, come and see to you. He's saying, come and see to me. Come and see your sins forgiven. Every guilty thing that you've ever wrestled with washed away. And the future sins, washed away, right? Past, present, future, clean. Jesus, when God the Father sees you when you stand before him, he sees you holy and blameless. Oh, man, that's a good feeling to know. 
Come and see the purpose of your life. You know that people are walking around without God. They have no purpose. They might think they have a purpose, but your purpose, you are imago Dei, you are made in the image of God, and your life is to glorify God. And until you meet God, your life is purposeless. But when you meet him, man, it all starts to make sense, right? Life starts to make sense. Come and see love, joy, peace. Come and see he invites us all. He invites you to come and see. It says they remained with him that day, and now it was about the 10th hour. Now, a couple things stand out to me here. The 10th hour was about 4 p.m. in Israel, and so it's toward the end of the day. Uh, Most people are going home. You know, they're probably getting ready to make their meal. Um, You know, it's controlled by the light. You know, sun comes up, you're up. Sun goes down, you're down. In Uganda, it's the very same way. We didn't have power for a lot of, for a lot of time, time there. And when did you go to bed? When the sun went down. <laughs> no lights, you know. Uh, so it's probably the end of the day. I'm thinking Jesus has probably been walking around for a long time. He's probably tired, you know. And then he, yet he still has time to meet with these guys, invites them to his house. And I think at the end of the day, I'm tired. I'm probably cranky. It's like, I don't want to talk to anybody at the end of the day. <laughs> Leave me alone, right? Not Jesus. He's always ready to meet with you. He's always ready to talk to you. Isn't that sweet? And so he invites them. And also 3 p.m. was the hour of prayer at the temple. And I wonder, was Jesus praying for these two right before he met them? You know, was Jesus talking to the Father like, Lord, this is going to be my moment with my first disciples. Something to think about, right? But we know that this is Jesus' heart. He longs to meet with people. He made them, right? Hebrews 7.25 says that, Therefore, he is also able to save to the utmost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus is your advocate, your lawyer, right? He stands before the Father and says, this one's mine, right? Nothing they've done, I've paid for it all, Father. You're going to welcome them into your presence one day. The other thing is that John remembered the exact time that he followed Jesus. One commentator says... The disciples came and never left. So radically did their lives change when they accepted Jesus' invitation to come that they even remembered the very hour of their pilgrimage with him. Amen? Have you experienced this 10th hour in your life, church? Have you been born again? Have you met with Jesus in a real way? I pray that you have, and I pray that you continue to do so. Jesus tells you you can come and see as well. Hebrews 3, 7, and 8 says, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, in the day of trial, in the wilderness. Listen, you know that every time you come to church and you hear the gospel, if you're not saved, your heart gets harder? Every time you come and hear the truth and you don't respond to it, your heart gets hard. Today is the day of salvation. I pray that if you're here and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, that you will come to know him today. The Bible says, call upon the name of the Lord and you will be saved. Not you might be saved. You will be saved. If you earnestly say, Jesus, I'm a sinner and I know that I've gone too far, Lord. I need you to save me. I was talking to a guy yesterday. He was a meth addict and he was talking about different things. I was talking about the Lord and I said, look, all it starts with say, Jesus, save me. Jesus, help me. Because he's like, I can't quit. There's no way I can quit these drugs. I said, yes, you can. You say, Jesus, help me. I can't quit. (laughs) And you start there. And the power of God will come, right? And he'll meet you there. I pray that you've given your life to Christ. If you haven't, you can pray with someone today. Jesus calls you to hear his voice, to come and see, 
as life as it's meant to be, right? Do not harden your heart. You know, there's many instances when Jesus says come throughout the, throughout the New Testament, right? He told these guys, come and see. He told them that they come and be, be fishers of men. I will make you fishers of men. Come and receive rest from your burdens, from your troubles. Revelation twenty two seventeen says, And the Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let him who hears say, Come. And let him who thirsts, Come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. Jesus offers that to us all. Amen. If you have experienced your tenth hour, then as Paul said in Romans 12, 1, and I say along with Paul, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. If you are a believer today, take risks right? Lay down your life for the church and for the lost. Maybe that first risk is going out your your neighbor's door and knocking and saying, hey, can I share something with you? Did you know that Jesus loves you? Right? It might start there. That might be scaring some people to death in here. (laughs) Like, no way. The Lord wants to use your life. Take risks, right? As I said earlier, God doesn't call us to be comfortable. He wants to comfort you as you take risks for his namesake. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, we love you and we thank you for your great grace, Lord. I love Romans 5, 8, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We weren't looking for you. You were looking for us. And we thank you, Lord, that even in the midst of our sin, you were looking for us. You were loving us. And so, Father, I pray for anyone in here that doesn't know you today, that they would come to know the living God, that they would be born again, that your spirit would touch them and heal them. And so, Father, move. I pray for those who do know you, Lord, that they would step out of their comfort zone. Maybe their heart's beating out of their chest just thinking about it. But, Lord, you're calling each one. I know you have a divine appointment for each person in this room, and people are already thinking about what it is that you want them to do. That's going to be hard. But, Lord, give them the power to do it. And so we trust you today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, church. I'm going to have one of our students come up and share a short testimony. Uh, just about what God's doing in his life um, through the 10th Hour Project. He's been, they've been with us for a couple months now, and so this is Ethan. Uh, give him a hand. <laughs> you guys hear me? Oh, cool. All right. Um, hi, I'm Ethan Guy. I'm from Wichita, Kansas. I am 20 years old, and as Dave said, I'm part of the 10th Hour Project. Um, I'm just going to be sharing a little bit about what the Lord has done to, brought me, uh, to bring me to 10th Hour and what he's doing currently in my life now. Um, so... How I came to 10th hour, um, I, I didn't grow up in a Christian family. Uh, my dad's an atheist, my mom is an agnostic, uh, and my brother is also an agnostic, so they're kind of mixed on their beliefs. Um, and so I came to the church when I was about 10, uh, I got saved when I was 12, and so basically I don't really remember much of my life before I came to the church, which is kind of weird, but I don't, I don't really remember much. Um, I had this phase from about my sophomore year of high school to freshman year of college, I want to say, uh, where I actually dove deep into drugs um, and alcohol and partying, uh, just trying to find my identity because I was really insecure. Um, A lot of people made fun of me for my faith. Uh, I actually had a YouTube channel sharing the gospel uh, for a couple years, uh, and a lot of people made fun of me for that in high school. Uh, Basically, I just became really insecure, and so I tried to find my identity in things that were not Jesus. Um, 
And so February of 2021, I enlisted in the military in the United States Army. And uh, I actually recently got discharged in April to come to 10th Hour, which is a crazy thing. Um, but I started interning at Calvary Chapel, Wichita, in Wichita, Kansas, um, August of 2022, all the way up until uh, before I left the 10th Hour. And yeah, I was serving at the church, and they came through Easter weekend, uh, April 9th, they came through. And basically, I shared my testimony with an intern, Evan. I don't know if you guys have met him. He's a intern, short orange hair, really cool dude <laughs> over there by the booth. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, so I shared my testimony with him, um, and he said that um, he felt like the Lord was putting on his heart to maybe help me pay for some of it if I wanted to do that. And I was like, whoa, that's really cool. Because the two things I was worried about was money and the military. And I was still in the military at the time, and if anybody knows anything about the military, I can't necessarily travel and also be in the military at the same time. <laughs> and so I, I've always been poor, never really had money, I was in the military. And so that was the first thing was money. I was like, okay, maybe the Lord is in this, but I'm gonna keep praying about it and keep seeking the Lord. And then a week after they came to my church, uh, my sergeant actually called me and said I had an option to get discharged, which is really weird because you're my head sergeant, my E7, he doesn't usually call me for things like that. And so I was like, okay, this is kind of cool. I think I'm going to go for it. And so I applied. Um, before I even signed my discharge papers, I applied uh, and got accepted. And then um, I got discharged April 14th, 2023. And uh, now I'm here at 10th Hour. Um, and it's really cool. Um, just the eight-month program is a lot. Um, but the, a couple things that the Lord is using in my life right now is rest and control. Uh, those are two things that I struggle with a lot. Um, I think I always have to work for God's love. I think I always have to work for my identity in God. Um, and a verse that came to my mind when Dave asked me to speak up here is Hebrews 12:11. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. <laughs> Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. There's three things that stick out to me here. One is at this time. It reminds me of when we're going through things and we're learning, it takes time. Mm -hmm. Like it's not going to happen automatically. And a lot of times I think when I pray, I'm like, Lord, give me the rest or God, give me patience. I'm like, all right, I'm going to go and I'm going to try to be patient myself. But no, <laughs> it, it, it takes time. And you got to remember when you're praying for things, you're asking for God to give you things on his time. This is everything, right? The, everything is the Lord's. And so the things he gives you is the Lord's and the time that is being borrowed is the Lord's. Yeah. And so you got to be patient on that. The second thing that stands out to me is a harvest of righteousness. When we seek the Lord and we rest in God, yeah, this is going to be a season of painful growing, but after this, it's going to be a lot of blessings, right? Like if I learn how to rest and I learn how to be diligent in the Lord, that will be useful in marriage. That'll be useful in kids, ministry, teaching, right? So this one thing could produce a harvest of Amen. everything else. Uh, it doesn't, it's not just for one thing, it's for everything. And the third thing that stood out to me is peace. Peace for those who have been trained by it. Um, peace, right? We, we know what the Lord wants, and we know that the Lord has done this work in our lives. And so we know we can rest that he's faithful to produce more. Amen? Amen. So this is just a huge step for me, rest and control. Um, yeah, God bless you guys. I really hope the Lord uh, moves in this church, and I know he will because he's faithful. And I pray Amen. that you guys would diligently seek him. Amen. Amen. Uh, <laughs> Amen, church. Praise God. Amen. God is doing a work in young people. Um, and I just want to share a little bit about the program before we end in worship. Um, so our, 
It's an eight-month program, as I said, from ages 18 to 26. We're focused on theology, apologetics, evangelism, and missions. And they spend three months in intensive study. It's like a fire hose of information coming at them. And then we head out on a six-week tour um, where they gain experience in teaching and serving and sharing the good news. And then they spend three months in Uganda, Africa, at Uganda Kids Project, which is the other part of our mission, and serving life on mission in a foreign context. During that time, they get to serve at the church, at the school. They disciple someone younger than them. Then they come back for a two-week debrief, looking at all the Lord um, has showed them about who he is and who they are in him and what gifts and talents he has revealed in them and where he is sending them next. We really want to prayerfully help them through that next step. And as I said earlier, 10th Hour Project has been going for about five years now, and we are on our ninth term. We have 14 students, seven interns. To date, we have traveled over 200,000 miles by van to churches, schools, youth events, conferences where our students have had the opportunity to teach evangelism classes, share their testimonies, and share the gospel all across America. Wherever we stop, if we stop at a gas station, everybody gets out of the van and shares the gospel. It's just it's what we do. It's in our blood. Amen? And we have seen people come to Christ in schools, on beaches, at hotels, etc. God is moving in America. Do not lose hope for that. We are praying for an awakening. And most have gone back to serve at their local church. Some have gone on to intern at partnering churches. Some are youth pastors, nurses. We have full-time missionaries in the Congo, in Uganda, and as well as Peru. And by his grace, they are living life on mission. Listen, if ever there was a time when young people need instruction in worldview, it is today. You guys know that. Barna Group Research shows that there is a biblical worldview is on a decline and we know that just turn on the news for five seconds but we believe that having young adults study god's word in a small community as well as engage the culture practically will change their lives and they'll change these statistics we're kind of a hybrid because we are a bible college but you're doing application immediately as you're learning you're doing Um, this is what david kenneman he's the president of barna group research says about the importance of evangelism for young people He says, to start, we must pass on resilient faith to Christian young people. This is also a form of evangelism. Planning, especially for the pivot point of the high school and college age years, even after they are committed to sustaining resilient faith, we must persuade young Christians that evangelism is an essential practice to following Jesus. I mean, if you look at the book of Acts, what were they doing? I mean, the church was just evangelizing. Today, I think it's 2% of the church actually shares the gospel. I'm sorry, that's just not the church. (laughs) God has saved us to, he saved us from and he saved us for, right? Our hope is that these students will come away from this time able to give an answer to the tough cultural questions that their generation faces with grace and truth and that they'll live their life on mission. Listen, we're not necessarily raising up vocational ministers, but if some will go into ministry. But if they're going to be a plumber, if they're going to be a pastor, whatever they're going to do, it's because Jesus has them to be a witness. Amen? Your job is so Jesus can use you in your job. That's why you're there, and that's why you have those talents. And we really want them to see it as a mission field. So we ask you to pray for us. There's several ways you can be part of it. Um, One, you can send a young person to 10th Hour Project. Um, Two, you can um, send your your pastor to come teach with us. We'd love to have him there. Um, you can become a sponsor of Agents for Christ. Um, please pray about becoming a monthly sponsor. You could literally skip a couple lattes in a month and, and help not only feed kids in Africa 
and get them medical attention, but also help these students with their tuition. We actually, we only charge them $6,500 for the eight-month program, and it's actually double that. It's actually 12000 roughly per child or per student. But the reason we do that is because they can barely afford that. Some of them, and we don't want to turn any students away. We believe God wants to raise up an army in America and overseas. Amen. And so please pray about it. We have a, a booth out there. You can sign up for our newsletter. We've got hats and shirts and stuff. Uh, it'll remind you to pray for us. But thank you guys so much for having us. I believe God's moving in this church, and I pray he continues to use you all as a beacon of hope in, in this city. Amen? Amen. Thank you.